Thank you for listening to the Crossroads Sermons podcast. If you would like more information about our church, please visit www.crossroadstw.org. Well, good morning again, Crossroads Church. It's exciting uh, times in the life of the church. We just watched that video. Uh, I think really a lot of us, we miss a lot of things in life. And I want to, I'll piggyback on that thought in just a little bit. But again, thanks for being with us. Uh, we're excited you're with us this morning. Uh, we're, I'm excited for the future of Crossroads. I really am. I'm excited for what God is getting ready to do and what he's going to do. He's not done with us yet. He's not done with the church yet. And so we're in this in the fifth week. Can you, can you uh, just imagine that? We're in the fifth week of this series entitled Mirrors. And so as we just watched that video uh, right before the sermon, I think during this COVID-19 thing, we've, we can, it's very easy to miss things, right? And so whether if you're not paying attention, it's easy to slide into the norm, uh, to slide into just comfortable living, the regular routine of things. And so what a great reminder for all of us, even going forward in the days ahead, to be, be very focused and intentional on the time that God gives us. But I think that at the video, that video actually adds some good um, markers for where we're going this morning. I think it highlights what we're going to talk about this morning. We'll be in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, but we're going to talk about the word worship. Worship. And I think really, if you want to be honest this morning, a lot of us, we get this wrong. We miss this moment. We miss what the biblical meaning of worship really is and what it means and how it should impact our lives so that we can know the gospel, demonstrate the go- um, embody the gospel, and then demonstrate the gospel. Matt Redman, the songwriter from the UK in 2003, got together with his leadership team, and they, they began to decide, and just every Sunday, 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 going through the same thing, just felt like a, a crazy routine, and so as a leadership team, they got together, and they said, look, let's, let's just take a retreat for a couple of days, and let's just go pray and seek God's face in regards to um, this idea of worship, and so they got together, they began to pray, they were fasting, and so they really began to think, man, we've, just, we've made worship about all these other things, just adding stuff, whether, whether drums and music and lights and smoke. And, and those things are good. They're okay. But he, they, really, they were just convicted at the heart of, are we, really, are we missing it or are we hitting the mark? And so during this retreat, God began to reveal some things to them. Songwriters were with them. And so they were all inspired. And they began to write. And they wrote the very famous uh, Christian song, uh, Coming Back to the Heart of Worship, the Heart of Worship. And so here's what some of the lyrics say. You ready? They say this, when the music fades and all is stripped away, and I simply come, longing just to bring something that's of worth, check out this next phrase, that will bless your heart. Have you thought about that? Even this morning, as we sang this morning, and we'll have another opportunity after the sermon uh, to sing again to our great King and Lord. But think about this, when you're singing the words, when the the sound of the, the, the things coming out of your mouth, those words, do you think about blessing, truly blessing the Lord's heart? Or do you want to receive? He says this, I'll bring you more than a song for a song in itself. It's not what you have required. You you search much deeper within through the way things appear. You're looking into into my heart. Here's a chorus. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. I, I do want to sing this, but I'm not. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. Um, I'm sorry, Lord, for the things that I've made it. When it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. And then the second verse kicks off like this. King of endless worth, no one could express how much you deserve. Then he goes on to say, though I am weak and poor, all I have is yours every single breath. And he goes into the chorus again. So that's what we're talking about. 
We're talking about biblical worship. How do we bless God's heart? How do we make sure we're not missing it? How do we make sure that our lives is demonstrating what God has commanded us and even wired us to do? And so there's much tension about this actual topic, worship. And even as I said this this morning, many of us were like, man, I don't know if I've been liking the worship that we've been doing as a church, right? I mean, just this is the nature. This is us. We, we are preference-based people. And so if things are not the way we like them, uh, that rubs us wrong. And so what we want to do is we want to look at what the Scripture has to say. So there's been much tension throughout the centuries about this. Churches have split about this. Uh, many different rivals, disagreements, methods, and styles when it comes to, when it comes to worship. So I'm thankful that God in this, the full counsel of his word, he gives us a glimpse of what it really looks like. Romans chapter 12 in verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Verse 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. How many of you guys want want to know what the will of God is? I know I do. He says, what is good? Talking about God's will. It's good and acceptable and it is perfect. So out of the gate, really, Paul is saying, here's the motivation for your worship. The motivation for worship. Verse 1, he says, I appeal to you, therefore. Now, we've already talked about the therefores. I know y'all know at this point I'm going to, I like to do really word by word, phrase by phrase, verse by verse. He says, I appeal to you. In other translations, it says this, I urge you, um, I, I implore you, if you will, I, I challenge you. Dear brothers, right? Adelphos is the same term we looked at, I believe, last week. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Here's why we ought to be motivated to worship um, the infinite king, the, the great I am. Here's why we ought to be extremely motivated. And some of us, during this COVID season, we've lost motivation. And I pray this morning that the Spirit of God will begin to spark something in your soul, the immaterial part of who you are, not making it about all the things on the exterior, but really speaking to your soul and say, you know what, I want to be motivated again to bless the heart of God and to not miss what God has called me to do. So in other words, it's consecration, a consecrated life. It's one that, that yields to um, the sovereignty of God. In essence, it's like giving God the blank check of your life and allowing him to fill in the blanks as he pleases. Have you done that? I know I hadn't done that completely yet, but that's what we're after. That's really a good picture of biblical worship. And Paul says, by the mercies of God. And you say, well, what are the mercies of God? Romans 1 all the way through Romans 11 describes what these mercies are. And so in chapter 12, we begin to look at the application in some degree about all the, the, um, the orthodoxy that, that Paul has given us. Now it's about the orthopraxy. How do we practice the doctrine we already have? Well, it, it just, let me take a journey. Y'all want to go with me? Let's do a little Romans, a Romans study. We've been justified. That's one of the mercies. We, we were dead to sin. Now we're alive in Christ. There's some more mercy there. Uh, we talked about this last week, adopted into God's royal family. There's some mercy under power, under the power of grace and not the law. There's some more mercy. We're possessors of the indwelling Holy Spirit, Romans chapter 8. Now we have peace and reconciliation with God. Isn't that great? There's no condemnation in Christ. Um, that We have a promise and a future for glory with him. Nothing can separate us from uh, the love of God. So all of these, this is what Paul is talking about. Now, based on all of the things, all the way up into chapter 11, these ought to motivate you and I to live a life of worship that points to him. Well, the question is, there's just still many different ideologies and thoughts when it comes to this. 
I know I just heard all of these different mercies, uh, Pastor Mark, because I know Paul has mentioned these all the way through the first 11 chapters, but still different mis- just, mi- just misunderstandings and ideologies. Well, John chapter 4, the woman at the well, you ready? When Jesus has an encounter with the woman at the well, they get in this dialogue. Isn't that crazy? Have you ever tried to just just really dialogue and converse with Jesus and really you're trying to tell him what to do? Uh, you know, I've done that before, right? But here we see this in this text, John 4. The ladies get in this long dialogue and discourse with Jesus, and she gets to this point later, later on in really verse 22 to 24. She says, well, hey, my family, what my people would do, we would worship, we worship over here. And Jesus goes, let me check you, little girl. Home, hold on. Let me tell you something. He says, um, the day has come, in other words, the day, the hour is now that those who worship the Father, those who worship the Lord, shall worship him in spirit and in truth. In other words, um, it's not based on the location. Because she said that we worship here, but Jesus flips the script and he says, no, well, the hour has come. In other words, um, you're looking at the kingdom. You're looking at the new method. You're looking at um, spirit and in truth. And so the hour has come. Those who worship the Lord will worship him in spirit uh, just authentic, if you will, vertical focus, no strings attached, but then in truth, aligned with doctrine, aligned with the character of God, what God has called us to do uh, via scripture. He says spirit and in truth. And then by the way, here's the part I like. The father is seeking such people. The father is seeking such people. Isn't that great that the father, now this is anthropomorphic language saying he's seeking. So in other words, it's declaring that God sees and he, he's actually looking for people that worships him in spirit and in truth. Did you do that a little while ago? We sang those beautiful songs in spirit and in, in truth. You see the misunderstanding in the church today that worship is really merely, it's merely just songs sang on Sunday mornings. That's really what we kind of dumbed it down to. Who's right, right? Who's right? Have you ever thought about this? Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. That's our motivation for worship, not what we think. So have you thought about this? Like when we get to heaven, maybe, you know, there's different styles, if you will, of worship. And, and I may get some emails on this, but that's okay. Amen. Uh, email Rocky. And so, but, but the point is, we have all these different styles and preferences, if you will. And, and preferences can be okay, but as long as preferences don't become convictions and we make convictions um, our conviction and we put it on other people so that they must adhere to our conviction, that's when it gets wrong. So preferences by nature, they're okay. We have preferences, right? And so but the point is when we get to heaven, can you imagine some people going, man, that music too loud. Where's the too loud section? Uh, I don't want to go there, right? I want to go to this section. I want to go to the handbell section. I want to go to uh, just the acoustic section. I want to go to the rock band section, right? Ah, right. So you, there's not going to be any of that. The point is this. When we get to heaven, can, can you imagine? We all see Jesus and he goes, hey, by the way, y'all all got it wrong. Everybody's like, oh, 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 snap, oh, snap. Oh, what do you mean? You know, actually, I didn't like any of those styles. Actually, I love Jamaican music, right? And that'd be crazy. Wouldn't that be crazy, right? So in essence, by, by nature, healthy worship is vertical by nature. Healthy biblical worship is vertical by nature. In other words, it starts here. Here's where we get our first definition. Here's where we get our, um, our idea or even our premise for what worship looks like. It always starts with a vertical, vertical focus. And so in essence, here's the definition we want to work with this morning. In essence, the essence of worship is to know God truly and then respond, there it is, motivation. It's the motivation for why we worship him, why we ascribe to him, why we, we tell him how worthy he is, how good he is, how holy and majestic he is. It's this, ready? To know God truly and then respond from the heart, there it is, I'm coming back to the heart of worship, to that knowledge of valuing God. 
treasuring God, prizing God, enjoying God, being satisfied with God above all earthly things. And then the deep, resting, joyful satisfaction in God overflows not just from praise from our lips, but it also begins to affect our, our whole being. That's it. We were all wired for worship. Every single one of us, we all were wired for worship. Worship is really nothing more or nothing less than being what you were made to be and doing what you and I were made, made to do. It's funny because, you know, we worship nowadays becomes centered on us. What I can get out of worship, it was once said that Francis Chan leaving service one day, a churchgoer said this to him. Hey, man, I didn't I really didn't like worship today. And Francis Chan in response said, that's OK. We weren't worshiping you anyway. Oh, and that cold. But that's good. It's to challenge our thinking. It's to challenge our theology. It's to challenge that, you know what, everything is about Jesus Christ. Everything from start to finish. As a matter of fact, the writer uh, John in Revelation will say, he is the alpha and the omega. He holds all things together. He's a sustainer of life. And if that's the case, then everything, all worthy, all worth, all worship should be going to him. Why? Because he is, he's a king of kings, the Lord of lords. We're all, we all worship something. You and I, we all, by nature, we worship something. Whatever, whatever we deem significant or valuable to us, that's the thing in which we, whatever it may be, that we worship. So let me say this. If God isn't at the center of your longings, your longings will never be satisfied. So Paul is saying, this is, as you and I, as we, as we worship him by the mercies of God, that's our motivation it has to be based on the nature and the truth and the knowledge about what Christ has done for us via the cross, but even the nature of God, and that's where worship starts. It's going to start with the purity of theology. And it goes on to say, well, here's the thing. I want to add this. I think about this pretty often in my own life because sometimes we make good things because, remember, I just said, we all worship something. And so as I mentioned that, some of you guys are going, man, I know what I really worship, right? And it's not I don't worship the Lord like I ought to. I worship other things. Well, here's the thing. Good things. They become, they could be a good thing. That's job, family, um, your retirement, your 401k, all that stuff, et cetera. You fill in the blank. Um, those are good things, but when good things become the ultimate thing, they can become a destructive thing. Because remember that worship is solely, it's about the Lord Jesus Christ. It ought to be to him. And that turns into our idolatry. If you want to look closer, this is the mercies of God. And, here, and, and here's how Paul in this writing is helping us to actually get back to the heart of worship. Why? Because our motivation is not motivated by anything else, but by what God has already done for us. And so in essence says this, anything, this is idolatry, anything more important to you than God. As I was writing this, I was convicted. I'm a shoe guy. I love shoes. You probably notice, maybe not, that's okay, but I love shoes. That's my sin tendency, Okay. And so don't you throw stones at the TV. If you do, that's kind of funny because you mess up your own TV. Uh, don't stone me like in, in John chapter 8. Um, he who, um, he who is, is without sin cast the first stone, and Jesus would tell the people. But the point is this. We all have something that we, we, we idolize, you know, really more than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you or that you seek to give you what only God can actually give you. That's, that's probably an idol. It could be anything. It could be a car. It could be um, just you fill in the blank. Remember, the blank check of your life. You see, the Lord desires self. He desires self before substance and service. 
In other words, he desires you. He desires um, the, 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 the heart of you, the, the immaterial part of who you are. That's what he's, he's after. Before we do anything with our hands, it's like worship is not just coming on Sunday. Worship is beyond Sunday. And worship is not necessarily always connected to just what we do. He's saying, in other words, by the mercies of God, and he's going to give us a bigger idea when we present our bodies, but he's saying this ought to be self first. You see, it doesn't take great men and great women to do great things. It just takes uh, consecrated men and women to do great things. It's people that said, Lord, here's the blank check of my life. You fill in the blanks. Paul is saying we ought to be motivated by, by the mercies of God. Now, I had surgery a while ago on my left knee. It was toe up, man. It was bad. Swell it up big like a Crenshaw melon. It was just bang, right? I played ball and just water and fluid popped up on there. And, and uh, man, I had to figure it out. I had to really figure out what was going on with the doctor. They said, hey, you got to have surgery. Expedite, I'm on the table, have surgery, I wake up. Man, you're coming out of surgery, you got to do therapy, all that good stuff. And so uh, I couldn't actually, um, I I think after like two weeks or so, I was able to, I should have been able to pedal full on a cycle on a bike when I was going to the rehab place, but I wasn't able to do so. And and the actual person, the doctor said, look, Marcus, if if you don't do the exercises and the things that I required you to do, um, this is not going to end well for you. And I said, well, what do you mean? They said, well, uh, here's what's going to happen. We're going to have to amputate your leg. What? Amputate? No, 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 no. You're not amputating anything. So I went back home. I was motivated. I had the tennis ball rolling on. I had all my ointments. I was doing everything I had to do. I was doing the little jumps and everything. I was doing everything. I was motivated to get where I had to get. Nobody had to tell me anything else. And that's what Paul is saying. You shouldn't have to be coerced or, or worked up or the favorites, your favorite song is on or that the based on worship. When we think about vertical, healthy worship, you should be motivated solely by what you've already know to be true about God and the word of God and the nature of God. And Paul is saying, by the mercies of God, you and I, we ought to say, God, you're worthy and you're holy. You're, there's none like you. So we ought to be motivated by, motivated by, and for worship, but by the mercies of God. Here's the mandate. You ready? He says, and we ought to present your bodies. I appeal to you, therefore, Adelphos, there it is, by the mercies of God, all those mercies, 1 through 11, chapters 1 through 11, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is very interesting. Because really, this is arguing that worship is it's not just a Sunday-only activity. And I think in the church today, we've actually dumbed down when it comes to biblical worship and what it looks like. Do you know the world is actually waiting to see what an authentic Christian looks like? Do you know right now in this season of COVID-19 that the world is longing for hope? Do you know that the world is longing for um, consecrated um, saints of the Lord, disciples of the Lord that are actually presenting their bodies as a living sacrifice? And I'm going to deal with that, what that looks like. But, but the world is longing to see what joy, what real hope looks like. Well, Paul says we got to present our bodies. It's the totality of who we are. You see, my life is an act of worship. Your life is an act of worship unto the one who is worthy. And it's not about preferences. You see, when we come on Sunday, corporate worship is really designed for you and I to take our eyes off of ourselves and to fix them and focus them upon the Lord. And it's funny because even in Leviticus, um, you talk about offerings and things of that nature. And by the way, the writer or the, the audience would have known of what, what Paul was talking about when he's talking about present your bodies as a living sacrifice. The Jewish people understand that the sacrificial system in the Old Testament, even the Gentiles doing sacrifices, but in a wrong way to different lowercase g gods, they would have understood this as well. But it's funny because in Leviticus, you see this great picture of people bringing something to the offering or excuse me, they bring an offering to the actual worship service. Nobody came empty handed. Isn't it amazing that 
even in the Old Testament, you see this healthy picture of what it looks like to present, what it looks like to, to bring something to the offering or to the actual um, worship service. A lot of times, and I do this as well, sometimes I've already fixed my heart when I go to a church service that I don't, I'm not going to allow the word or even the worship to affect my life. I'm already fixated, I'm already, I've already made my mind up that I'm gonna go back to the same way that I was before I walked into the doors. I'm gonna treat my wife the same way I'm gonna do all this stuff. And so this is the point. You and I, the corporate worship is really us coming together as a big Super Bowl and each one of us living our life with Jesus throughout the week. And what happens, we come together corporately and the roof should blow off based on the goodness of what God has done in each and every one of our lives uh, individually. Then corporately, we come together and we say, God, you are worthy. And it's about us fixing our eyes on him and not ourselves. He's the author and finisher of our faith. But Paul says, present. I love this because the picture is yielding, surrendering. Check this out. Or relinquishing grip. Letting go. Present. Now, here's the funny thing about this. He says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That word present really means this. You ready? Logikos. Logikos. And it means this. It's where we get our English word logic. Now, remember, in the first sermon in this series, talking about how Paul used logic to deal with arguments and then to dismantle arguments, right? So even here, he uses this word to highlight, present the word is logical, logikos, is logical. In other words, Paul is saying this, this is our logical response to what Jesus has done for us. This is the most common sense thing that you and I ought to do. Now, the problem with a living sacrifice, though, you ready? The problem with this, there's two different things I want to point out, but here's the biggest. You ready? The problem with a living sacrifice, it's living, okay, and sacrifice. So, Paul, what do you mean? Alive and dead. Now, Old Testament, when you presented an offering or a sacrifice, the sacrifice is dead. That's what dead do. It dies or it's dead, right? And so, but how are you, what are you saying, living sacrifice? In other words, you and I, as a believer in Christ, it doesn't matter your ethnicity, it doesn't matter your, your generation, your age, um, you and I, we have to constantly, constantly um, relinquish grip of our lives. This is what biblical worship looks like. Relinquish grip of our lives, areas that we haven't given over, um, tendencies that we haven't given over, that the whole totality of who we are gives God crazy glory, that we will bless his heart. It's not lip service, because if it was just lip service, then the Pharisees would have been called the heroes of the faith. But we know that's not true. There has to be something more. So in other words, the problem with this is that living sacrifices is we want to climb off the altar. So what Paul says, you ought to present your body. This is, you ought to present your body. You're motivated to worship based on the mercies of God, but then also based on the mercies of God. This should also compel you and motivate you to want to lay your life every single day on the altar of God's sovereignty, on the altar of God's will, and say, God, you have what my life, you do whatever you want to do with it. You sign and fill in the blanks of my life. Well, Paul is saying, this is it, man. You got to do this. Every single day, we have to reoffer ourselves to God, every single day, you, me, we have to re-offer ourselves every single day and, and say, God, do what you please. And the funny thing is, the second thing is that sacrifices um, for you and I in this text is not done for the sake of trying to obtain God's salvation. It's not that. It's really just we're, we're doing this based on out of response of the mercies, the mercies of God. It's why we do it, out of response. So C.T. Studd was a pro cricket player. He played cricket, and I, I learned this later on in life, probably like Moody when he had like cricket 
intramurals or some stuff like, oh, what is that? What are they playing? Is that new form of baseball? What is that? Like they got like a spatula and, you know, was, oh, no, that's, uh, that's cricket. Okay, anyway. So, but the point is, pro cricket, CT stud, became very professional, very good. He um, was one of the best players ever. His um, dad gave his life to Jesus. Then obviously, uh, CT stud, he gave his life to Christ. And then just in the midst of his, him chasing all these things in this professional world, he began to go, man, there has to be more. It's kind of like what Tom Brady said about all the Super Bowls and trophies he won. But CT said there has to be more. And he says this. You ready? And he will go on to be a missionary that will die on the mission field for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says this, and quote, quote, he says, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him, end quote. Isn't that great? So in other words, this is highlighting what Paul is saying, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice based on what the Lord has already done for you and I. He says, holy and acceptable from the core of who you are, not lip service. He says, this is your reasonable, in other words, some texts say your, some translations say your reasonable service. This text says this is your, your spiritual worship, which is your spiritual worship. It's funny because he's saying this is your reasonable, common sense. This is what you and I, we ought to do. This is what we, what we ought to do. And as you look at your own life, as I think about my life, as you look at, at your life, do you know the world is watching? I'm just, it's crazy how people watch, people know. Does your life really highlight authentic worship to a risen Savior? In your home, uh, when we get back to normalcy, whenever that happens, I mean, do, do your life really, does your life really exudes what biblical worship looks like and what it should look, look like based on the mercies of God and then you crawling back onto the altar every single day saying, God, do what you want to do. Here's the blank check of my life. Well, I say we ought to give him his worth and praise and glory, but, but can people truly see or tell that you know Jesus? I think later we will, and I don't think, I know we will, we will have an opportunity after the sermon to actually worship again, to worship again the King of Kings. Some of us, we didn't do too great of a job the first time, amen, right? So we'll give you another opportunity based off what we've heard and from God's word this morning. You see, we are empty tomb worshipers. We are empty tomb worshipers. This is one of the new core values that we'll be rolling out in a series entitled Plumb Lines that'll be coming later, but we are empty tomb worshipers. In other words, this, we, we worship from uh, this place of folded grave clothes, that he is risen and he's, he's coming back. Our hope is beyond the grave. We know that we win in him. You see what happens, it looks different though. Worship looks different, different denomina- d- denominations, different, uh, di- it looks different culturally, right? All this different stuff. Some people raise their hands, some people raise their hands. Some people keep their hands here. Uh, whatever the case may be, it looks different for every single person. Well, I think once we get past what we think and how we feel and get to a heart of worship again, we will not worry about what other people think about us. We won't worry about if we sound bad. Or, you know, you may be like, it's like a horse, something getting beat up. Right, it sounds horrible, right? You wouldn't even be worried about that. You're still, you're still giving, um, as the psalm will say, making a joyful noise. Who cares what other people may think? And that's the problem. We've made worship um, uh, me-centered and not vertical and God-centered, right? So here's the point I want to make. Jesus is, he isn't looking for mere churchgoers. He's looking for Jesus-knowers. He's not looking just for churchgoers. That is not the aim and the, the goal of us being disciples or us being Christians. He's not just looking for mere churchgoers that sing songs and leave and live the same life. He's looking for genuine Jesus knowers, world changers. 
So the question we ought to ask when we're done with a worship service is this. You ready? Not if um, they didn't sing my song. I didn't like that choir song. I didn't like that song. I didn't like so-and-so on the stage. We ought to ask this question. Here's the big question at hand. Was God pleased with the worship today? Was he pleased? And then lastly, Paul says, well, we got to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable um, to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. We ought to do this. It's the most reasonable thing to do based on the mercies of God. In verse 2, he says, do not be conformed to the, to the world, but be transformed. In other words, it's an imperative. Don't fall into the mode of the world or don't let the mode, the world put you in its mode, right? It's like making jello. You, make, you can make jello into the mode or whatever you want to. That's the picture. But then lastly, the maturation of worship, the motivation of worship. We saw that already. Okay. The mandate of worship. We ought to present our bodies as, as a living sacrifice. Stay on the altar. Here's the blank check of my life. But then now we have the, the maturation of worship. He says, but being transformed, it's the passive voice, but being transformed by the renewing of your minds. In other words, it indicates being in a passive voice that the process it's being done by someone else. In other words, the Holy Spirit in our lives. You see, when you and I, when we present our bodies as a living sacrifice on a daily basis, God begins to work in us and do some things in us that we can't do in and of ourselves. But when we choose to climb off the altar on a day-to-day basis, say, I want to live my life how I want to live. I want to I parent how I want to live. I want to I be a retired um, um, senior citizen and do what I want to do. That's not to climb back on the altar. What happens when we stay on the altar, we will begin to experience this transform, metamorphosal, God's sovereignty, if you will, in our lives. But when we climb off, we, we forfeit what transform really means. It means change from within, nothing exterior. D.L. Moody said this, the scripture was not given for our information, but it was given for our transformation. That's it. It's like a seed in the ground. A seed has to get in the ground and die. A seed has to get in the ground and die first. And a lot of times we, we get frustrated with where we're at in our walk, where we are in our faith, we, 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 you know, we, we get one step forward or, or we, we gain ground, we, we conquer this sin, we're, we're reading our Bible three times a week or whatever the case may be, we fall back and we're frustrated. Remember, there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God and there's no condemnation for any person that is in Christ Jesus. So in other words, um, it's not based on our performance, it's based on what God has already done. And so the maturation of worship is this, that you and I, as we stay on the altar, as a seed is in the ground, the seed dies, and then what happens, what's planted on the inside of the seed begins to come out. A lot of times we want to see what's out, um, but we haven't submitted to the altar. That makes sense? And so we judge our lives right now based on what we see. I'm a horrible parent, maybe, maybe I just I just can't get this right, or, or I just, I can't get past this tendency or whatever the case may be, but God sees the final you. Aren't you encouraged this morning that God sees the final you and the maturation of worship? He allows us to live life, and this COVID-19 has challenged us to think beyond just the walls of a, 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 a building, if you will, on Sunday morning. He's causing us now to live every single day very intentional lives of worship with our families and our homes and so on and so forth. But a lot of times we judge where we're at in life based on what we see currently. Paul is saying, no, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, this is what it means. True worship is based on right understanding of God's nature. And it is right, and it is, and in its rightfulness, if you will, we begin to value God's worth. That's what he's talking about. Biblical thinking leads, it leads to biblical life. It leads to biblical living. 
being renewed, present tense, passive voice. In other words, God is it's a continual tense, being renewed every single day. Lord, take my mind, take my mind, take my heart, take my mouth, take my hands, take my feet. I'm back on the altar. Here's the blank check every single day. Lord, do what you want to do. And as I present myself, I am, I'm trusting the fact that you're doing something every single day of my life as I submit to you. So how does this happen supernaturally? How do we transform our minds? How is our minds renewed? As, as Paul challenges in the text, as believers choose to saturate his or her life, with the word of God, the living act of word of God, the spirit progressively, remember, it's the maturation of worship. He progressively renovates our minds so that we may see, think, and feel, um, and that not just see, think, and feel, but that those things will line up more and more with the mind of God. And that's what Paul is going to hit at in just a little bit. You see, the battleground between conforming to the world and being transformed is within the mind of every single believer. Christians must, we must think differently. And so Paul is saying, because if we think differently, what happens, you and I, in doing so, we'll be able to test and discern what God's will is for our lives. You see this? He says, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. A lot of us, we made a bad decision because we, we're not standing on the altar. We're not giving God the, the blank check of our lives. So we find ourselves in these bad situations and we can't discern God's will. But here's the remedy. You see this? Here's the recipe. In other words, we... We can discern God's, God's will. You see, giving God the blank check of your life, it's a beautiful thing. Have you done that this morning? Then and only then will you, will you find true life. You and I coming to the end of ourselves like the seed. I got I to gotta stay here and, and allow what God has put in to come out, but I have to die to myself first. 99.9% .9 of the will of God is fulfilled by learning to worship God above everything else in our life, in my life, and learning to offer my life as a living sacrifice to him. He's not the magic eight ball God. You remember that old toy? You shake it up and you go, hey, man, am I going to be rich when I get older? And like just random little fluid in there with like a little triangle. and got like four different uh, you know, statements on there. You, hey, I'm going to be rich when I get older. There's a possibility. Oh, right. It's fake hope. Right. That's not God doesn't work like that. He doesn't work like that. He's the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning. He's the end. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. He is the, the lawgiver. He is the one who, he's Emmanuel God with us. He died in your place. He died in my place. He is uh, the lover of our soul. He is the rose of Sharon. He is the bright and morning star. He is the one who loves you and he called you. He's the one that calls you and I out of our guilty tombs. And he's the one that's saying, I want you to come to me. And when you come to me based off the mercies of God, you will say, God, you're worthy. And I put everything aside, strip the stage of my life and I want you to get all the glory, all the honor and all the fame and all the praise. Why? Because it belongs to you anyway. It belongs to you anyway. I'm returning back to the heart of worship. Will you build your life? Would you build your life on Christ this morning? I hope so. So Father, we love you. Thank you for Romans 12, 1 and 2. We're, it's so clearly laid out that the motivation of our worship is based off God's the mercies of God. The mandate is that we present our bodies as a living sacrifice. In other words, it's the most logical and reasonable thing that we ought to do. And then lastly, Lord, we see the maturation of it, that you desire to do things on our behalf when we, when we submit to you. But when we choose to climb off of the altar of life and try to figure it out, a living sacrifice again, we forfeit life change, we forfeit transformed minds, and then we have a hard time discerning your will for our lives. And so, Lord, today, 
Help us to return back to the heart of worship. Help us to build our lives on you. And see your name we pray. Amen. God bless you.